The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down, try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I, as I like to remind you every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks. And Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling. And Chen will be with me in just a few minutes to talk about uh, a favorite stock, a stock that he's very excited about at this point in time. We do have a special introductory uh, price for all three newsletters, one-time only price, to try just to give them a try and see if they work out for you. And <clears throat> each of these are a separate offer, but you can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, to learn more about it at 718 457 one four two six seven one eight four five seven one four two six, and uh, or you can go to miningstocks.com. Miningstocks.com is another way you can uh, sign up for that uh, special trial offer. I'd like to say that the best place to go though to track everything that I do is at jtaylormedia.com. J a y taylormedia.com. You can access this radio show. All three of those newsletters, as well as the videos I do and frequent television appearances that I make from time to time, CNBC, Fox, BNN, Bloomberg, etc. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour today, uh, our sponsors are Merrick's Gold, American Manganese, and Rye Patch Gold Corp. Of course, we want to thank each of you for listening to this show every week and making this the number one show on the business channel, on the Voice of America business channel. Um, can there be any doubt that America has, uh, that America is and the entire Western world is in deep trouble, economically speaking, and perhaps in other ways as well? Even Keynesian socialists like Thomas Friedman of the New York Times understands that we are in big trouble. His solution would be more of the same thing, however, that has gotten us into trouble, and that's namely big government spending more, uh, more printing press money, um, but nonetheless, he does understand that our economic system uh, is in big trouble. The reason we are in trouble, which Friedman and 
other liberals and most Republicans, as far as that goes, do not understand is that we have allowed our monetary system to be, excuse the expression, bastardized by the likes of monetarists Milton Friedman and the Keynesians, who have infested both parties as well as academia. Both of these diabolic theories have given intellectual cover for a system of legalized theft. The government has granted the Federal Reserve a monopoly license, banking license essentially, that enables the financial community to rob those who create wealth, people like miners, manufacturers, farmers, and inventors. In exchange, the Federal Reserve System gives the government financial coverage to engage in vote-buying socialist and fascist programs of all manner, be they in the military-industrial complex and the healthcare industry, well, almost every industry government has its hands in it in one way or another. In short, our government has, like a cancer, eaten away at our free market economy such that those who produce wealth are punished while the parasitic bankers and government entities who benefit from this reallocation of wealth are rewarded. Meantime, the government has also fostered the big lie to the general populace that well, you can get rich and you can live high on the hog. You don't really have to work for it. You can have it today. Don't worry about ever paying for it in the future. Well, that's been the big lie that has gotten us into so much trouble. Is it any wonder, then, that we are, the U.S., and the Western world as a whole, are in trouble, in big trouble? So I think there is a general agreement, both from the left and the right, that we have big problems. But the question now is, how does this pathology play out? Will the excessive amount of debt that cannot be repaid be wiped off the books through the fires of hyperinflation, as most of my gold bug friends believe? Or will this economic problem be solved or resolved through another deflationary depression akin to and possibly much worse than that of the 1930s? Today, uh, my main guest is Ian Gordon, who returns for the fourth time to this show since we began in March of 2009. Ian is not only convinced that the greatest debt load in the history of humankind will be resolved through a deflationary depression and that it will be worse for Americans in the 1930s, but that the Dow will sink to levels that are, to most people, unfathomable. Ian is suggesting 1000 on the Dow, while gold rises to $4,000 an ounce. We will ask Ian to explain the logic for those price targets, and when we talk to him, uh, that will be at about 3.30 uh, New York time this afternoon. Ian will be with us uh, for the first, uh, well, for the first, for the second half of the first hour and the first half of the second hour, he'll be returning also. So we'll have Ian for approximately one hour. An even bigger question uh, over that of inflation or deflation, I think, is, well, what kind of a government will we have when the smoke clears, when all of this uh, debt issuance, when the debt problem is resolved? Joining me at about 3.30, uh, excuse me, about 4.30 today will be Ron Paul's chief of, chat, chief of staff, Jeff Deist. He'll be here to talk about why his boss, who essentially tied Michelle Bachman for the Iowa straw poll, has been all but shut out by the major media. Of course, for those of you who listen to this show on a regular basis, you will already have a hint of the answer. Ron Paul is not being shut out of the major media because of the reason that is most commonly given, namely that he doesn't have a chance to win. Quite the contrary. I believe Ron Paul would have a great chance to win because he is incredibly popular among people who have had a chance to hear his story. 
his popularity that he was able to essentially tie Michelle Bachman in her own home city, uh, in home state, uh, I, I think attests to his enormous popularity among the young people, among people uh, who may not be in the powers of government or uh, running Wall Street these days, but even there, Ron has a lot of friends. So the government uh, and the people, the status quo, like to label him as a kook or a fringe character, even though his views are, I believe, totally in tune with those of our founding fathers, and I thoroughly believe in tune with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those are constants. Humanity doesn't change. The people, the needs of people do not change over time. Uh, but certainly, of course, countries go through cycles, and we are going through one, and one, I'm afraid, is not going to be all that pleasant. So Jeff Deist, anyway, will be with us at around 4.30 to discuss uh, Republican politics uh, and, uh, and perhaps what his boss is up to now and what he will be doing as he uh, talks um, and, and also uh, explores uh, the Federal Reserve in his subcommittee uh, hearings that are going on. Uh, while I'm on the topic of the Federal Reserve, let me tell you that next week, Ed Griffin, he's the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, will be my main guest. So we will be talking a lot this week about politics as uh, politics and economics, as we frequently do, but we also will be talking to David Wolfen. He's the president of Coral Gold and Avino Silver. Uh, David will be with us uh, after the first uh, commercial break to talk to us uh, about his company and its prospects. Uh, and also, uh, towards the end of the show, we'll be talking to Roger Wiegand as well. And um, let's see if there's anything else I'm missing. No, I guess that's about it. So that's uh, what we're going to be. Uh, that's basically the schedule for today. And But before we get to the first commercial, I do have Chen Lin with me. We want to talk to Chen uh, and see what his money-making idea is for this week. Welcome, Chen. Thank you, Jay. Well, Chen, last week, about this time, you and I visited a project up in the Yukon, not far from the Alaskan border. The company whose project we visited was Prophecy Platinum, and that company trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol NKL. It's selling, I don't know, I looked earlier today, it was uh, maybe closer to $4 a share. Uh, there is uh, 50.6 million shares outstanding, given a market cap, and I guess it would be over $200 million, uh, or so. Um, earlier today, you provided an update to your subscribers about this stock, and you do remain very positive about it. Can you tell our listeners what you like about Prophecy Platinum and why you find it an exciting play at this time? Yes, uh, first time I'll visit, uh, not only both of us were impressed, and also I checked with other geologists, they were very impressed. Uh, the, the scale of this huge upside potential in more exploration and finding higher grade area, and one you know, geologists even mentioning they could be the next pebble in the making, the pebble, the, the largest mm -hmm. gold Yes, mine. a huge, huge uh, copper gold deposit in, in Alaska, yes. And it's much easier to get permit in Yukon. But in other, another sense is we just learned last Friday in the public filing, Sprout Asset Managing, just, Management just bought 10% from open market of this stock. Mm. Okay, so Sprout owned 10%. There's a 45% lock with... Um, Prophecy Co. is sister company. They can now trade for another 12 months, and then there's 20% uh, owned by insiders. So there are only 25% very very little flow around this this stock. Mm -hmm. and they have they have some very important drilling results coming out. We already saw that, so I believe those could be the catalyst um, mm. in the stock higher. Okay, so we've got a and then the share structure is very good, very tightly held. 
Yeah, very tight share structure you have, and you know, as I just mentioned, it was, I was on that trip as well, and certainly a very renowned geologist who knows who knows that geology extremely well, and has worked on other major platinum group projects in the past. Believes this uh, this could be one of the biggest mines, uh, one of the biggest deposits anyway uh, that has been discovered. Is that right? Yes, that that's a possibility. Again, they already have twelve million ounces. Uh, one uniqueness of this is the platinum is the highest grade. A lot of uh-huh. those uh, uh, palladium, which is cheaper one, has a very high dominant, but they have a platinum at highest. Also have a lot of gold. So 12 million ounce, you know, 200 million market cap. You know, they, this is uh, you know still not expensive. Right, and the share structure is always very important in these matters too. Uh, the, the Sprott is in there with a, uh, a very, very strong interest apparently to uh, to get involved in this. Would also suggest uh, well that some smart money is coming into this stock. And uh, well, anyway, Chen, I think this is a really interesting idea. We should uh, let our listeners know that this is a speculative play for sure. This is a company that is not producing. It's going to have to issue more shares. It's going to have to raise capital. Uh, but I want to thank you, Chen, for passing on uh, your thoughts on this on this very, very interesting story. Uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with David Wolfen of Avena Silver and Gold. He's going to talk to us about his new, uh, well, it's not new. It's a mining project that's been around for a long time, but it's now back in production or entering production again. We'll be talking to David Wolfen for some ideas about how you might prosper and profit from that uh, from that idea. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Mr. Wolfen. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chukamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. 
Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love and ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again David Wolfen. He's the president of Avino Silver and Gold. Some of you may remember David, who was interviewed on this program in the past uh, as president of Coral Gold. That's a company with a sizable gold deposit in the heart of gold company, a country in uh, Nevada. Uh, it's a company that I still like a lot. It is a recommendation in my newsletter. Avino Silver and Gold is not currently... Uh, a recommendation, uh, not because I don't like the company. I, I'm going to listen to hear uh, what David has to say about it, but partly because there's just so many companies that one can follow, and um, but always looking to upgrade. So uh, I can tell you this, that Avino trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol ASM, uh, and in the U.S., I believe its symbol is ASGMF, trading at about two and a half bucks U.S., um, uh, a little bit less than that in Canadian money, which is worth a little more than ours these days. Twenty-six point eight million shares outstanding. So it's uh, you know it's giving it a market cap of what around um, a little under seventy million dollars, or sixty million dollars, I suppose, somewhere if my math is correct. Soon, uh, I believe, the stock is going to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange Amex. But anyway, in any event, let's just uh, welcome David to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. Well, it's really good to have you. I, I sat in your office about a week ago there in Vancouver. Uh, must say, my favorite city, one of my favorite cities uh, uh, in North America. Is that correct? I believe I saw a press release that you are going to be trading on the New York Stock Exchange Amex. Uh, it happened. Soon. It happened oh, already it on you... August 2nd. And oh, okay. we are listed there under the same symbol as the Canadian one. It's ASM. ASM. Okay, excellent. Okay, excellent. All right, well, Avino Silver, you're operating in Mexico in one of the oldest mines. It's been around since the Spaniards were uh, controlling Mexico. Talk to us about the mine. Where is it located? And okay, yeah, go ahead. Where is it's it located? It's in the state of Durango. It's a one-hour drive, uh, um, about sixty miles from uh, the city of Durango on mm-hmm. paved road. So it's oh. easy access. Easy access. What about? Um, talk to us about the history of this mine. When was it first put into production? 
Well, we uh, trace it back to 1558. Francisco Ibera from Cortez's army found it when the Spaniards came over looking for mines. In the 1800s, the British owned it. It was the largest open-cut mine in the world. It was listed on the London Stock Exchange, and it had a market cap of a million pounds. We got it in the, the early 70s. My father was instrumental in getting the project. He was a mining broker, and uh, we built a, a small mill there in 1974, uh, increased the capacity in 1990, uh, but collectively we operated the mine for 27 years, and it mm. closed in 2001. It closed in 2001, no doubt, because of low metals prices. We were, yeah. Silver prices were where about then? I mean, we were looking at something under $5 or around oh, $5. Oh, yeah, under 4 Under and, 4 uh, and... We had uh, smelter closures um, at that time as well. So Pinoles and Grupo Mexico stopped accepting uh, concentrates. Right. What is the uh, what is your resource there now, David? And what are what are the reserves? Uh, you have reserves? Well, it's all um, in the resource category. Mm-hmm. Um, inferred. Um, we will be upgrading those as we develop the underground. Uh, currently, there's about 15 million ounces of silver and about 100,000 ounces of gold. There's an, uh, the, and that doesn't include the original Avino vein. Um, there's two claims that overlap the vein and it covers about 80% of it, which we don't own. And we're currently uh, negotiating an extension with our partners. Um, that will add significant ounces to the, to the numbers that I get, just gave you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, you've had a long mine life. We're talking underground mining now, though, aren't we? Both open pit uh, in the oh. 70s and 80s, and then 1990 we went transitioned for, to underground. Um, we've made new discoveries, and we're we're developing on our 100% on ground on the San Gonzalo vein area, and um, that'll be a new underground development for us. Mm-hmm. What sort of grades are you uh, pulling from there, David? What sort of average? Well, grades they were they were bouncing around. They were extremely high grade intercepts, and uh, in our 43101. Uh, um, it was substantially lower, about uh, uh, 250 grams. So we we decided to run a bulk sample run to mm-hmm. get a good overall average, and uh, basically it's between 250 to 300 uh, grams per ton. But keep in mind the bulk sample was run near the surface, not near the high grade stuff we hit below. So mm-hmm. we hit stuff uh, that was running in the kilograms per ton of silver uh, at depth. So mm-hmm. we're, we're ramping down there right now. Hmm. How, uh, how many people are you employing there? We have about 65 to 70 people. And I guess mostly Mexican natives, huh? Absolutely. We're using I mean. a contract miner to do the underground development, but we're staffing the mill. And the export, we own our own drill, so we're running the drill there um, around the property um, at, uh, and growing. Mm-hmm. Well, so give us a sense of what the economics might be like, David. What is the uh, what is your capa- What is your uh, your milling capacity, and how much do you expect to feed through the mill to start with? Uh, well, the ultimate- and, and, and I guess you're not um, quite in commercial production yet. You're still sort of in the development stage. Is that right? Correct. <laughs> Once we run the mine for a reasonable amount of time, um, uh, at full capacity, we'll be deemed to be in commercial production. So that we're hoping to achieve that probably by the first uh, quarter of next year. 
Okay, and what uh, what sort of how much mill feed would you be putting through the mill every day? Right now, we've reconfigured the plant to operate at 250 tons per day, but uh-huh. we have full ultimate capacity of 1,250 tons per day. So there's a lot of room for expansion. Whoa! And I guess then that begs the question: What uh, is the potential of pulling enough ore from an underground mine to feed that uh, that kind of capacity? Well, at 250, you need at least three stopes. Uh, drawing ore from at any one time, mm-hmm. uh, which is our first uh, goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, then to go to a thousand tons a day. Once we uh, complete uh, the extension of our agreement with our partners, that's where we were drawing a thousand tons per day. When we went from 1990 to 2001, we increased the capacity to about a thousand, eleven hundred tons per day. So we'll be able to draw ore from there. We have to dewater it and do some mine planning. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll probably happen in the latter half of uh, next year. Mm-hmm. Could you give our listeners some sense of what, um, you know, how much silver you might produce? And you do produce some gold there, too, I believe. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, in the bulk sample, um, we were, the average grade at that time was about 261 grams and a gram of gold. Um, the cash cost um, was $7.62 uh, per ounce of silver equivalent. Um, mm. Going forward, uh, based on this grade, um, and the maximum uh, throughput of 250, we we feel we can do about 890,000 ounces of silver and about 5,000 ounces of gold or 1.1 million silver equivalent ounces. So that's not too bad for a small operation with uh, a lot of room to grow. Well, that's uh, just to put that in perspective, 1.1 million ounces of silver uh, equivalent uh, I saw earlier today the silver price was, I don't know, where it was just uh, about $40, I believe. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I just saw it on the screen now, $40.08. Uh, and your cost is somewhere around $7.62. At least that's what it was in the bulk sample. Yep. Uh, do you see the possibility of some cost improvements? Um, maybe it's impossible to say this for sure. Not that we need to have it with that kind of a margin. My goodness, it's a it's a great margin to start with. But I'm thinking if you're going to uh, twelve, you know, if you can ramp up to a larger scale, there's some uh, possibilities of um, economies of scale there, possibly, David. Absolutely. When we were mining at a thousand tons per day, we were we were our costs were between three and five dollars an ounce. And we're, we are adding new equipment. Uh, we're putting in a power line right to the portal, so we, uh, we'll save on fuel costs. Right now we're running generators uh, at, the, at the portal. Uh, so we'll, we're going to look to save costs, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it seems like an exciting story. It seems like it's one that has a lot of potential. Any time frame for ramping up? Do you have some goals? I mean, um, in terms of how fast can you get there? I guess you, do you, your goal in terms of getting to 250 tons a day, being able to pull enough ore to feed that mill, the mill that size, uh, you expect to achieve that? Um, we're pu- we're hoping for the first quarter of uh, next, next year. year. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then probably by the latter half of that year, we probably will have the, the old mine dewatered, and we can be looking at the next uh, stage of expansion. So... Um, probably by early 2013, we could be looking to increase the the throughput. Oh, well, that's uh, that's that's really exciting, David. People can follow your um, can follow your company. Your website is what uh, triplewavino.com. 
www.avino.com. I might mention also, it's a little bit antiquated now perhaps because uh, we did this in January, but you and I sat opposite each other in front of a camera and talked about Avino up in Vancouver, and I know that people can see that interview at uh, investmentpitch.com if they want to go there. I'm not sure if you'd have it on your own website, but yep. people can go to, uh, so you do have it on your own website, Absolutely. and I would imagine that it's, it's uh, even though that was a while ago, that most of what we talked about would be relevant uh, today as well. Yeah, yeah. Good, excellent. And I guess we, uh, my engineer is telling me we're just about out of time. One, okay. Just to ask you, though, quickly about Coral Gold. Yep. Uh, Coral Gold is certainly a company that I've been following for some time. Uh, I guess you've got some, some environmental issues there, not, not serious ones, nothing that can't be overcome, but it's, it's taking more time than you had expected. Is that, is that what the well, story is? Well, the Bureau of Land Management is uh, understaffed. And, yeah. uh, and uh, um, they're just slow in responding. So we're doing a new environmental assessment there in Nevada, and um, we hope to wrap that up here in the next few months and uh, get them satisfied, and um, we can be on our way. But the big uh, milestone for Coral this year is to get the PEA. So that we're hoping to get that in sometime September, and that will show everybody the viability of the project. Okay, well, that's uh, very interesting. Perhaps we'll have you back on sometime to talk about Coral Gold. Uh, a best wishes to your father, too, who I've known for many years. Uh, your dad came in, uh, and you and your father came in as sponsors. The first sponsors we had on our show is Coral Gold, and I will be eternally grateful to you, to you and your father. And I think a lot of our listeners will be, too, because it is a popular show. It's growing in popularity. And you and your father had as much to do with as anybody in terms of encouraging me to get started on this show, so I want to give you a big thank you for that, David. Thank you very much. And all the best to you, and we'll be in touch in the not-too-distant future. Take care. Okay, you too. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Ian Gordon. He's uh, due to be with us on the other side of the break, so don't go away. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000. 
while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chukamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. W.legendgold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me Ian Gordon. He's a friend now of mine for well over a decade, and he is a person who has had a lot to do with shaping my own economic views. Uh, in addition to being a friend, Ian is a globally renowned economic forecaster and author of the Long Wave Analyst Newsletter. It's an excellent newsletter. Um, he is a student of economic and investment history. Ian's unique analysis of the cycle uh, has garnered great praise from many notable sources, including some exceptionally well-known investment managers. Ian has been a consultant to many mining companies and has assisted many junior mining companies in raising capital over the past number of years. In fact, I think Ian was probably one of the first people to do that uh, in this great bull market in gold going back to, I think, about 1998 or 1999 when I first met up with Ian. And he was uh, very much ahead of the field in going out and alerting people to the coming bull market in gold. Uh, 
Markets never travel either up or down in a straight line, so I suppose there are those that would say that Ian isn't right 100% of the time, but what I do know is that from a long-wave perspective, he has been spot on, and he has helped me over the past 10 years stay on the right track. Uh, when it comes to ferreting out the lies and propaganda from the mainstream, uh, ferreting those things out from the truth. Uh, so really, Ian, I'm really, really glad to have you back, I think, for the fourth time uh, on Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Jay, and I'm happy to be back. It is really great to have you. We've had lots of long discussions over the years uh, uh, by phone, mostly, uh, a couple of times over dinner in Vancouver or wherever. Uh, I want to start out um, by asking you some things about the death of paper money, an excellent paper that, uh, uh, an essay that you wrote uh, on your news, uh, on, in your newsletter. And by the way, before we even get to that, uh, tell our listeners where they can follow your work. Well, our website is uh, uh, longwavegroup.com, so uh, okay. it's uh, there. It is a subscription website, but a lot of uh, uh, people who just want to see what we're about can go to the home page and can sort of get a, a good inkling of what we're writing about. Yeah, you do have quite a bit of good information there, and if, not, if I'm not wrong, probably some nice charts that are also uh, there that people can get a sense of what, you know, you talk about the Kondratiev cycle, the long wave cycle, and I hope we can get into that probably the second hour of today, today's show. But But back to the death of paper money. You say the following, and this was published on July 28th. You say, and I quote, We are now facing the greatest economic crisis in the industrial, world, the industrial world has ever encountered. This financial crisis is likely to be far greater than any disease or war yet experienced. I have given this matter a great deal of thought before making such an assertion, but I cannot think of any event in history that ever had the ramifications of the current debt crisis which threatens to engulf the world in a terrifying and massively destructive economic depression. There have been wars and plagues which have resulted in huge losses of human life, but the potential scale of human misery brought about by the collapse of the international debt bubble is likely to be beyond compare. I know that I am frightened, not only for myself and my family, but also for everyone else. Because once governments lose control of the debt situation, our world will likely turn upside down, end of quote. Now, Ian, I know things are bad. I know they're getting worse. And I can see an acceleration of the problems. The problems, uh, the periods of economic contraction are becoming greater and more frequent. And the ability to print money to stimulate the economy is clearly losing traction. But isn't it possible you are overstating the hurt that we may be in for into the future? And if not, why not? Well, um, it's always possible. You know, I mean, it's very difficult to see into the future, but uh, the basis of that paper uh, is the fact that there has never, ever in history been a paper money system that's ever survived. And... Uh, Unfortunately, this time around, the entire world is subjected to a paper money system. And uh, with all the ill, in, Ill discipline that that sort of invokes upon government, governments can do whatever they want. They can create uh, as much money as they want, but unfortunately that money is synonymous with debt. So that the world, essentially because of the paper money printing that's been ongoing, I would argue probably since the onset of the First World War, but certainly since the 30s, Mm -hmm. uh, has uh, 
led to a, 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 the potential for an absolute calamitous uh, uh, historical uh, problem that uh, I don't see any way that we can overcome this because the way that the governments are trying to overcome it, and it, it you know, it's typical, and we can go back in history and see paper money systems and how they failed and what governments have tried to do during that uh, failure to try to overcome the failure, uh, what the governments are doing today is exactly the same as they did when paper money systems in past times collapsed. Unfortunately, those paper money systems, or fortunately, those paper money systems were restricted to a particular country. Yeah. The two examples that we use are the John Law's paper money scheme in France in uh, the uh, 1718 to 1721, and the again in France, the revolutionary French assignat uh, paper money scheme uh, that culminated in about 1796. Um, what happens is as those systems are, are starting to break down, uh, governments create even more paper, trying to reignite the economy the way uh, back to its former glory. But uh, it never works because people's trust in paper becomes uh, basically destroyed, and and they want something tangible in terms of payment. And uh, effectively, the governments try to outlaw uh, the means of payment in gold and silver. But uh, eventually, the governments recognise the stupidity of the, their position, and then uh, we return to a, a, a gold standard system, as we did after both John Law's scheme and the Assignat scheme in France. Mm -hmm. Well, they do, uh, and and I want to get into some details of both of those examples that you just mentioned, Ian. But I, but if what I hear you saying is that the reason you think that this is unprecedented, the reason you think this is going to be worse than what our grandparents uh, experienced in the 1930s is because the scale of this debt scheme, of this paper money scheme, is far greater. It is, in fact, global now and not just national. Is that right? Well, it is. It's, it's uh, you know, even in the 30s, the, um, the debt was, was fairly significant, but uh, was limited essentially outside the United States um, uh, to uh, governments. I mean, the uh, European governments have had amassed um, huge amounts of debt during the First World War, mainly payable to the United States. And uh, But the, the corporations and the uh, consumers uh, in those countries basically didn't take on any debt. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't really, they weren't entitled to any debt. The banks didn't lend them any money. Mm -hmm. um, the United States, of course, because they... They were so wealthy, and so much money was coming into the United States, uh, much as is happening in China today, uh, was able to lend out copious amounts of money all over the world, and including to uh, the U.S. consumers. So uh, U.S. banks, because of that lending uh, during the 30s, they, the whole banking system in the United States has essentially collapsed because of the massive amounts of lending that they'd put out. But as I say, it was limited, except in the United States, essentially to, to government debt it, during the 30s. And yet all that, when it collapsed, and the whole money system did collapse in 1931, and by the way, we are 80 years 
from that collapse here in 2011, and we've written and said that we felt that the collapse of the monetary system would begin in 2011, much as it did in 1931, mm -hmm. about 80 years. Um, that basically took the whole world into a massive depression, and you had, uh, uh, during that depression, you had... Uh, fascist governments sort of evolve uh, in Japan and also or military governments in Japan, uh, Hitler in Germany um, and uh, Mussolini in Italy. I mean, uh, the whole thing was, was bad enough, but today the whole world is overcome by this massive debt. I think the total debt worldwide is in excess of about $110 trillion. Well, mm -hmm. there's no way that money can ever be repaid, and that's been made possible by the the basically the propagation of paper money. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the issues that um, uh, that needs to be pointed out, I like to say that that debt is the raw material from which paper money is created. Unlike a, a, an asset-based money, uh, say it's gold or silver, the money supply is increased when you dig more gold or silver out of the ground. Now we have. Um, uh, debt actually money is is manufactured from debt is that not correct well yes exactly i mean um the whole scheme is you know all this paper money is is manufactured and 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 lent out as debt so that uh you know every every facet of the economy now is overwhelmed by a massive amounts of debt okay well let's uh i would like to if we can sort of draw some comparisons with what happened in France back in the 1700s. Um, at that time, you know, Ian, now most people have their, I guess, their money in checking accounts, uh, and it's a double-entry bookkeeping system. Was it a similar system in France at that time, or was it just literally pieces of paper fly, flying around and people exchanged, exchanged paper without going through a bank deposits uh, scenario? Well, the paper money system, both in John Law's uh, 1720 scheme and the Assignan scheme in the 1790s in France, Brayski uh, evolved alongside a precious metals mm -hmm. monetary system. Yes. Uh, however, what happened was that the paper money that uh, was, you know, created um, at that time massively, you know, overwhelmed the precious metals money. So mm -hmm. that, that typically. As Gresham has said, you know, bad money drove out good, and the, and the good money got hoarded. Uh, no one was going to spend their gold and silver. Sure. And uh, the paper money got spent. And also that huge excess of paper money led to major speculations, uh, markets uh, speculation. Uh, in John Law's time, it was the Mississippi scheme, so that you had massive amounts of paper uh, running and chasing share values in in the Mississippi Company, and in the Assignon it was a different uh, uh, speculation, but still in in stocks and so on. So um, we really went through the same thing here, uh, beginning in 1982. The 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 development of paper money following Nixon's uh, opt off gold in 71 really started to to take off in the in the 80s and 90s mm -hmm. in the United States and in Europe so we had that huge speculation occurring in stocks bonds and real estate and um, and generally when that market collapses as it it did in 2000 and it did it when John Law's Mississippi 
market collapse. The whole paper money system essentially collapses. But what happened with this collapse in uh, 2000, uh, Alan Greenspan, you know, was so frightened by what he could see that he he actually increased typically, which is the same as John Law and the Assignor, he increased the supply of money and the availability of money in the bank. So that between 2002 and 2006, this huge amount of money that was pushed into the U.S. banking system and in the European banking system uh, transferred to a massive speculation in real estate. Um, so, you know, the stock market, tip, you know, ostensibly peaked in 2000, although we had a higher high in 2007. But the real speculation that Alan Greenspan instigated was uh, the real estate speculation. Right. Yeah, and it's a speculation that is really drowning us. It's, it's pulling us under like an albatross around our neck. It's pulling the economy down and, uh, and obviously so much debt that cannot be repaid. Uh, I would like to go back a little bit uh, to, the, to John Law, though, um, and also this Mississippi company. Talk to us a little bit about the Mississippi company. What did they do? Well, it was based on um, the French territories uh, along the Mississippi Mississippi in the United States. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a huge, huge territory. So John Law proposed that, uh, you know, he got basically rights to the company. He got rights to other companies as well. But he proposed that, uh, you know, that along, along this territory, this massive territory that sp spread from the, the U.S.-Canadian border down um, all the way down into, uh, into the mouth of the Mississippi and each side of it as well, that there would be copious riches to be found, you know, gold, silver, mm -hmm. um, precious stones, and so on. And uh, so the speculation sort of came around that kind of uh, promise that, you know, was made to, to investors that uh, if they were to invest in this Mississippi company, that uh, they would do extremely well. And, and of course, the thing is that the, the, the you know, and he, they printed so much money and banks could lend out so much money for investing in this company. Um, so the whole market started to take off. There were stories about uh, lords um, sending their servants and saying, okay, the, the Mississippi company is trading at uh, 10,000 leave today. Go and sell my shares and bring me back, you know, 10,000 leave. And the servant would go into the crater de Campo and and he'd find that they were trading at 12,000, so he'd pocket 2,000, and, and then he'd, he'd invest the 2,000 in uh, the Mississippi scheme and uh, give his lord back the 10,000 that he'd received uh, for the shares. So uh, you had this huge speculation occurring, and it, and it went, you know, not only amongst the, the noble people of France, but everywhere, and it even spread into Europe. And alongside that, John Law's Mississippi scheme, of course, grew uh, in England, the South Sea Bubble, another mm -hmm. big speculative element that occurred in there and, and burst a little later than John Law's Mississippi scheme. So um, these huge uh, speculations are only made possible by the uh, printing of massive amounts of money. Now, if we go back to the, what I call the last Kondratiev autumn, uh, the the current the autumn in the current cycle was 1982 to 2000, 
the last one was 21 to 29. And again, the, the U.S., because it, it was so wealthy and so much money was coming into the U.S., and the U.S. had been the, was the great creditor nation, the largest creditor nation in the world, so money was pouring into the states. And um, so that the money supply was increasing quite rapidly. The Federal Reserve was increasing the money supply quite rapidly during the 20s, and that led to the speculation of the 20s, the Roaring Twenties, which is synonymous with the speculation of 1982 to 2000. Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, so basically, what drove it then? What drove these these prices? And and can you give us some sense of what sort of price range the Mississippi Company went from? From I think it was 400 and some to 18,000 or something like that. Was... Uh, yeah, and Jay, that occurred in the matter of. Uh, Probably two years. Two years. Okay. So now let's look at what let, let's look at what we went through. We had the dot com bubble, which I believed was a Greenspan money printing phenomenon to a great extent. Yes, there was some good things that took place, but look at all the companies that went out of business. It goes to this concept, the Austrian concept of malinvestment. You pump huge amounts of money into the economy. It's got to go somewhere, and it goes to places that are foolish. A foolish allocation of resources, essentially. Uh, and, and so would you say Hello. that, that that 's what happened to our dot com that 's what caused our dot com bubble and then our housing bubble Jay, I kind of lost you for a minute there well i don 't know there was a yeah, no, I, 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 yeah i was I was saying, do you see then the parallels? We had a dot com bubble, we had a housing bubble. these were caused by the same things we had John law, the French had john law we 've had Alan Greenspan and now um, Bernanke. Uh, is there is that the comparison? I mean, the, par- the parallels are very, are very, very similar. I mean, it's money. You have to have this money that that fosters the speculation. If there's no money, you won't have speculation. So, and if you go back, you know, back to the the cycle that I've basically been writing about, we've gone through. And the speculation in the Kondratiev cycle always occurs in what we call the autumn of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And we've gone through four, through four autumns. And they always, have a, they always have a theme associated with them. So the first autumn, which ended in 1837, I don't want to go back that far in history, but I want to show you the parallel. Sure. Uh, the first autumn that ended in 1837, the speculative theme that was associated with that was sort of the, the road building and canal building in the United States, mm-hmm. the Erie Canal, for instance, sure. during that time. And large amounts of money were borrowed to uh, build these canals and also to build the roads, and it was also the opening up in the United States of the Midwest. So when that speculative came to an end and money became tighter, uh, the, the bubble burst in 1837, and the U.S. went into the, its depressionary winter. Mm-hmm. And similarly, in, um, you go back to 1873, there was a huge speculative bubble that occurred prior, you know, for the six years, well, basically following the Civil War in the United States, and that speculation was associated around railway building in the United sure. States. So massive amounts of money were borrowed to, to build railways in the United States. When the money got a little tighter in 1873, the bubble burst in the United States went into a depression, essentially lasting until 1896. Mm-hmm. Then you get into the third speculative 
scheme, which started in uh, 1921, um, and that scheme was associated essentially around the industrialization of the United States, the automobile, the refrigeration, the aircraft, radio, and so on. So uh, and that scheme lasted until 1929 when it crashed, money got scarce, and we went into a depression that lasted uh, all the way until the, until the outbreak of the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the fourth scheme was essentially so associated around... Um, uh, technology. Right. And, uh, so when that bubble burst with the dot com era bursting and uh, mm-hmm. companies like here in Canada, we had a company called Northern Telecom, which mm-hmm. I remember was trading at $112 and has ceased, and since then, in about 2000, and since then has ceased to exist. It's gone bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that bubble burst, uh, the economy goes into what we call the winter when debt is paid back from the system. Well, this time, this is the first time in the four Kondratiev cycles that we can see that actually the bubble when it burst in 2000, Greenspan wouldn't have let, allow it to happen. He dropped interest rates from 6 to 1%. Mm-hmm. He flooded the banks with money. And so we built up a huge speculation in, in real estate in the mm-hmm. United States. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not peculiar just to the United States. Same thing happened in, in Europe, and, and Britain has just gone through its baptism of fire in that regard. But yeah. it's far worse to come. I mean, so that autumn speculation is very, very similar, and very similar to John Law's speculation and the Assignat speculation in France. Well, Ian, let me ask you, though, one of the things about those earlier autumns, the speculative part of that long Kondratiev cycle that you write so eloquently about, the thing there, though, until this time, we we did have some sort of a gold standard, and yet we still had these speculations, didn't we? So it it, it doesn't necessarily follow that a gold standard will keep us from abusing the system, huh? Well, actually, we didn't have a gold standard system in the 1830s, nor did we have uh, in the in during and after the Civil War. We had the greenback system. Yeah, uh, we only returned the United States only returned to a gold back system following the you know into the winter of the cycle. So, um, yeah, we were on a a, a gold back system in uh, the 20s, but it was actually only a quasi-gold standard system. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The whole gold, the real gold standard system effectively collapsed uh, in 1914. I mean, you know, Britain returned to a gold standard in 1821, um, and uh, France returned to a gold standard following the crash of of the assignats in actually in 1796 mm-hmm. and Napoleon returned France to the gold standard and issued gold napoleons and when he was in trouble he, you know he was you know he was asked by his ministers why don't we print paper money and he said i will only owe any always pay in in uh, specie i will never pay in fiat in honest money. Ian, we've got to go to our first uh, break here, um, and then we'll come back on the other half hour uh, at the top of the hour. But uh, one of the things I want to get into is this whole notion of inflation and deflation. If I'm right, uh, let, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe 
we saw these episodes in France, for example, they were highly inflationary, were they not? And then you had a bust. Right, they were, but you know, but we've been highly inflationary until the bust, uh, until 2000. But the inflation has been in speculation. Yeah, inflation in, in uh, let's say, in financial assets and the like. Well, uh, I want to come back after the break and talk uh, about this whole issue of deflation. It is a, a big discussion on this show. We've had people on both sides of the of the ledger, um, both sides of this argument uh, that can that make a pretty big, pretty good case, I'd say, for both sides. But I know that no one does a better job of arguing the deflationary side than you do. So. As soon as we come back from the break, uh, Ian, I want to talk to you some more about um, about why you think uh, we could be heading for 1,000 on the Dow and uh, much higher gold prices than we have now. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with Ian Gordon after we return from the commercial break. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chukamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters romeo's gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of british columbia's golden triangle a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources 
in a major upcoming mining district. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. 